everybody, it's Drag, and it is Thursday, January 31st, time for episode 283 of Patriot's Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com, and of course, follow us from Super Bowl 53 on Twitter at Patriot's CLNS. Patriot's Beat on location in Atlanta, site of Super Bowl 53 between the Patriots and Rams this coming Sunday. I'm trying to talk myself into this being a competitive game, and there are our ways. I can definitely see it happening. I'm welcoming Evan Lazar, my cohort, my colleague, my partner in crime, <laughs> along with Alex Barth, uh, down here in Atlanta. And um, I think the news of the day on Wednesday certainly was Bob Kraft yeah. talking about Tom Brady, a contract extension possible beyond his current contract in 2019 when it expires. There's 27 million reasons why it makes good sense for the Patriots sure. to extend him. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this was more of a uh, you know inevitability than something that's groundbreaking news from Bob Kraft here today. This contract just makes too much sense for both sides. Obviously, Brady wants to keep playing. He's not going to do that in a different uniform. And the Patriots, with that $27 million cap hit, can extend that cap hit throughout the course of a second half of an extension and push that money down the road a little bit, and that'll free up some space for them to re-sign Trey Flowers, to re-sign Trent Brown, to maybe re-sign one of the wide receivers that's a free agent. And let's face it, they only have $18 million in cap space right now, if they went out and gave a market value contract to Trey Flowers, that could be all $18 million in cap space on one player. Now, obviously, I don't think they're going to do that, but that's the situation that they're in. So getting Tom Brady's cap number down is in everybody's best interest. There's also the realistic um, situation concerning the Patriots' backup quarterback position. We all like Brian Hoyer, but if you're thinking about a quarterback for the future, years and years and years down the road. Obviously, that's not going to be Brian Hoyer. I think even Brian Hoyer would acknowledge that much. Yeah. Um, and the Patriots, it's a position where you need to plan in the draft if you're going to do that, um, and if and you're not going to spend ridiculous amounts of money in free agency to do so. So there is that angle of it. Yeah, absolutely, and I also don't think that the Patriots are in the market of putting a rookie quarterback on the field anytime soon. I don't think they want to do that. They didn't even do that with Tom Brady. It was his second year in right. the league. They haven't really had a rookie starter since, you know, probably Drew Bledsoe all the way back when he was a rookie. So I think the biggest thing is they want to get somebody in here that they can groom a little bit and give him a few years to learn under Tom Brady before they then hand the keys over. So this gives them the opportunity if they sign Brady, let's say, through 43, I think is probably realistic, give him a two-year extension, kind of go every two years with it. I think that that makes the most sense for both sides, even though Brady would probably like to be signed through 45 and then make the decision himself of when to retire. What was your reaction to Robert Kraft's comments? When you initially heard it, was it he's not going to allow Tom to play in another uniform? It was, but I also, like I said at the top, I also think that this is an inevitability, something that is coming uh, regardless of whether or not Bob Kraft comes out and says something like that. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense for either side to go into next season, to go into the 2019 season without Tom Brady signed to an extension because then all the conversation is Tom Brady's in a contract year. This right. never happens. Correct. What's going on? Why haven't they finished the deal? Does Tom Brady want too much money? Are they not willing to extend him because of age and they're seeing his play slip a little bit because he's getting older? Are they buying into some of those narratives? Then that becomes the topic of conversation throughout training camp, and I just don't think that that's really what Bill Belichick wants either. All right. Uh, let's make sure we're reporting this accurately because in a story like this, nuance 
can yeah. be lost in context, right? Sure. And, and vice versa. Um, and, and Mike Reese tweeted this out, and I think um, it's really important to kind of read his tweet because, you know, he's been covering the team a very long time, obviously knows Robert Kraft and his family very well. And Tom Brady. And Tom Brady very well. As a matter of fact, you can see from his uh, hero image on his yeah. Twitter homepage. Um but uh, I'll let you go to Mike Reese on Twitter uh, to see that. But anyway, I digress. Um, the answer from Tom Brady responding to Robert Kraft's support for his goal to play to 45 and what it meant to him. Tom Brady, quote, The reality is I don't think many people thought I'd be playing like this, even though I had a great belief I would. I think RKK, Robert Kraft, has always supported me in my beliefs and thoughts. And that's why we have a great relationship. And he said that at the riser in the press of media availability here on Wednesday. Yeah, I think that this is one of those situations where actions speak louder than words, right? Robert Kraft can come out and say, we want to sign him to an extension. We want to do this. We want to do that with any player. But at the end of the day, if you don't sign him to that extension, that speaks volumes to what you really are saying behind closed doors. So I think that even Tom Brady probably doesn't know 100% how much the Patriots are going to offer, how many years they're going to offer. So that deal is going to be... I understand that Trey Flowers is probably their priority in this year's free agency. Right. But in terms of the future of the franchise, Tom Brady is obviously a much bigger deal in what they do with him moving forward. Normally, you would not do this to a player heading into the biggest game of the year, the no. Super Bowl. Tom Brady is not the normal player. Right. And I think part of this, Evan, is the fact that uh, Robert Kraft wants to show support, emotional support to Tom Brady. Hey, I've got your back. We haven't forgotten about you. We know what's ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it all comes back to, too, from a Bill Belichick standpoint, who he's more worried about uh, the team aspect of it and what it means for the Patriots as a football team, more so than hurting anybody's feelings, is that they don't have an Aaron parent right now in the, in the house that they can turn the keys over to, in, to after Tom Brady in 2020. So, to give them an extra few years to buy some time, even if Brady isn't MVP level, he's still going to be, you know, a top 10 quarterback in the league. Even if he declines the top 15 quarterback in the league, he's still upper echelon. He's still better than a lot of other guys. So that still buys him some more time. Speaking with expert Patriots reporter Evan Lazar, CLNS Media's own Evan Lazar, live from Super Bowl 53 here in downtown Atlanta. It's that time of year, right after the Super Bowl on Sunday, after I unpack all of the souvenirs from my trip, I realize that, you know what, Evan, another important date is coming up. Every year I struggle to come up with a unique, great Valentine's Day gift, and I know all of you, like me, want a gift that lasts more than a few days and shows just how much you care. Well, I've come across the perfect answer, homesick candles. Why are homesick candles a great Valentine's Day gift? They are thoughtful and personal, not just picked off a shelf. A homesick candle shows you thought about the individual. There's an emotional connection as well. Highlight special memories with a candle commemorating your first kiss or a special road trip. And there's the beautiful packaging. Homesick candles come in beautiful gift boxes that look amazing with just a bow or a note or, you know what, nothing at all. Each candle is made from a natural soy wax blend, premium cotton wicks, and... 
is completely non-toxic. New this year, the First Kiss Candle joins the Love Candle this Valentine's Day. Celebrate the electric and unforgettable moment of your first kiss and share your first kiss story. Go to homesick.com and check out the First Kiss Finder. Homesick Candles is giving my listeners an amazing offer. Go to homesick.com and for every classic size or three-wick candle you purchase, you'll get a free mini candle. Pick your favorite memories and candle. Add them to your cart, and for each classic or three-wick, you can add your choice of any mini candle for free. And all you have to do is enter my code BEAT, B-E-A-T, at checkout. That's homesick.com with the promo code BEAT, B-E-A-T, for this awesome deal. Don't forget to add a mini candle for each classic or three-wick. This great offer is available only until February 15th, so order now. That's homesick.com with the promo code BE. A-T. Speaking again with Evan Lazar, Patriots reporter for us here at CLNS Media. All right, the Rams. I'll give you Rams. three names offensively that Bill Belichick and uh, defensive signal caller Brian Flores are, are going to be concerned about on Sunday. Who worries you the most, Todd Gurley, C.J. Anderson, or Brandon Cooks? Well, my answer might surprise you, and I'm going to say Todd Gurley. And I, I've said a lot of things about Todd Gurley in, you have. in my past about how I think he's a little bit overrated, but I think the biggest thing is as I look at his skill set and the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield is something that he can do that C.J. Anderson really doesn't bring to the table, and that's something that he's done a lot more under Sean McVay than he did when Jeff Fisher was the head coach of the Rams, throwing the ball to him on screens, getting him vertical down the field and throwing him wheel routes, that type of thing. If the Patriots are in a situation where one of their linebackers, whether it be Kyle Van Noy or Landon Roberts, is one-on-one with Gurley in space, that's a matchup that the Rams are really going to like. So I'm very interested to see how the Patriots handle that. Do they put Patrick Chung on Gurley and then maybe bump Devin McCourty onto the tight end? Do they trust the linebackers more so on the tight ends than on Gurley? That's kind of one of those chess matches that Bill Belichick and Flores are going to have to iron out. Robert Woods. Patriot fans know him from his day with the days with the Bills. Correct. What do you think? He's a really versatile receiver. That's the first thing I think of with Robert Woods. Now, he's great at the top of the route. He has enough speed, so he can kind of carry some stuff vertically, but very shifty, great feet. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of Keenan Allen, that type of player. Not as good as Keenan, but you know that type of mold. And also just the versatility to play both inside and outside, as this whole Rams team kind of can makes him a pretty tough matchup, I think. And I think Stephon Gilmore actually is going to draw Robert Woods for most of the game. Really? Yeah. So, you know, the reason I bring up Robert Woods is with the Chiefs all week long coming going into the AFC Championship, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill. And certainly he had his plays in the AFC Championship. Sure. Uh, but not a lot of people, I didn't think, talked Sammy Watkins. Yeah. Robert Woods, does he have the ability to make one or two or three big plays kind of like Sammy Watkins did? Yeah, absolutely, and he's the type of guy that is a big play machine. This whole offense is a big play machine, but Robert Woods more so, I would say, than Josh Reynolds is the type of guy that could do that, and Brandon Cooks is kind of their Tyreek Hill, right? And He's obviously the big play machine. We know him from his days with the Patriots, but I think the Patriots are going to try to take Brandon Cooks away from Jared Goff in the passing game, and I don't know if they'll necessarily double him him, but they're going to shade the safety over that direction. Now, they 
dedicated double Tyree kill. And they let everybody else play everyone else on an island. Sammy Watkins, Travis Kelsey, all the way down the line. And what that kind of opens yourself up to is that Sammy Watkins is now on an island with Stephon Gilmore. He's going to make a play or two. And that's something that you kind of just concede if you're the Patriots coaching staff. You say, okay, we're going to trust our all-pro cornerback to at least hold Sammy Watkins in check. We're not Sammy Watkins is not going to go for 200 yards and three touchdowns because we have Gilmore on. And he's not going to get beat deep. That that is what uh, when you're putting um, Stephon Gilmore, your best all-around cornerback, on a player, what you're telling him is, look, he can make a catch on you in a a compete situation because great receivers are going to make a a catch here and there just in compete situations. Yep. You you trust him that you don't bite on a double move, which he did in what was it, the Bills game or yep. the Jet game? It, well, oh, no, Chargers did, game. In the Chargers, Chargers game, game. he bit. Yeah. Okay, against Keenan Allen. You're hoping that doesn't happen this week in a Super Bowl. Right, and, you know, the one play that he gave up to Sammy Watkins, the one big one, was obviously kind of a scramble drill type situation where it all that kind of broke down. That is a different down. animal. Totally different animal and something that I don't think you need to worry with Jared Goff necessarily the same way you would with Patrick Mahomes. Right. So that's not the type of game that he has. I think that Gilmore has a chance to take Woods one-on-one and maybe not take him out completely, but at least mitigate what he's able to do, and that allows the Patriots to do what they like to do, that double the number one with the number two or number three, maybe even. In my opinion, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And John Jones and Devin McCourty over the top took Tyreek Hill out of that game. Now, Brandon Cook is a little bit of a different receiver, but his game-breaking speed is very similar, and I wonder if they just deploy the same exact strategy where they play one-on-one across the board with everybody else, and they put uh, John Jones underneath of Brandon Cooks and Devin McCourty over the top of Brandon Cooks, and they say, okay, Josh Reynolds, Gerald Everett, uh, obviously Woods, if you guys are the ones that beat us and we lose the Super Bowl because Josh Reynolds went off for 150 yards and two touchdowns, then, you know, tip the cap, and, and right. that's all that is. So, here's, uh, I find this interesting. The way Bill Belichick studies film, yeah, he knows the other player coming into a game about as well as that player's own coaching <laughs> yeah. staff. Belichick, in this case, did coach the player, Brandon Cooks, yep. and he studied him. Which do you think is more important to Bill? In terms of game studying, planning for this game, so studying his current tape versus what he knows of Brandon Cooks, right? Tendencies. I think, yeah, I think that the biggest thing is probably his current tape because you need to be able to know how Sean McVay is using right. Brandon okay. Cooks in the Rams' offense. What he did with the Patriots is a little bit different. They don't do as much of the tight formations. He wasn't lined up as much closer to the formation and running routes inside and outside like he is in LA. But I think the one thing that you kind of know about Brandon. And Cooks, and I, I think that this is kind of overblown by Patriots fans sometimes because of some of the moments that he had last season where he's not very strong at the catch point. He doesn't want to battle for the ball, I think, is a big narrative. And I'm not so sure that's necessarily true, but what's definitely true about Brandon Cooks is that if you jam him at the line of scrimmage, he's you, can not have, strong. you can have some success with him. He's not necessarily the strongest guy. Right. Whereas Tyreek Hill is a, built like a truck. So you try to jam him at the line of scrimmage, and he's you able to You saw what to happened to Jalen Ramsey when Ramsey right. He tried and and got maybe a little bit of him, but yeah. not enough, and he blew right by him. Right, so that's a totally different matchup. So in that case, you know, if you think that J.C. Jackson can hang with Brandon Cooks' long speed, I wonder, too, if that could be the matchup instead of John Jones because J.C. is the type of guy that he's a press man corner. He told me flat out, I play press man. That's what I do. And he's going to get in his face, and he's also very good at tracking the deep ball. He's a very to former me, wide receiver, and that's a very good skill of his. 
But the question I always come back to is if you don't give him safety help, does he have that speed to keep up with Cooks when Cooks does get off the line of scrimmage? I tend to think he would. Yeah. And I would tend to think that the Patriots, if they think somebody else needs help, right. um, would think he would. But, I mean, when you take a look, and I know we're spending a long time here on um, – the Rams receivers. It's a podcast. We can do whatever we want. Um, it's also the biggest matchup in the game, probably. Right. And but the depth of the Rams receivers. Do they really concern you? Well, they only really play three guys, right? You know, the, those three guys, Reynolds, Woods, and Cooks, are going to play ninety north of ninety percent of the snaps, and Woods and Cooks don't come off the field. Those guys are a hundred percent. After that, the depth is kind of thin because they don't have Cooper Cup anymore. So those three right. guys are really it. But at the same time, like I've been saying, it, they're a very versatile group. They can all do a little bit of everything. They can line them up in different spots. They can run different routes. Woods, in particular, is a guy that really looks to me like a guy that is just truly a versatile weapon. Run inside, run outside, run vertical, run across, run short routes, intermediate he does it all. So uh, mainly I think the biggest thing is, is that these are like a Swiss army knife of receivers. They can do a bunch of different things, and they're also pretty interchangeable. For the most part, at least with especially with Reynolds and Woods, those two guys, you can kind of just move them around and do their own thing, whereas Cooks is more of the guy that's going to be at that X on the perimeter most of the time. Okay, we're going to uh, switch to the other side of the ball now. And you're Naturally. Josh McDaniels. And you have to answer to Bill. And you have to, when Bill asks you, what are we going to do with Donald and Sue yeah. in the middle of the line? And you're Josh McDaniels. You want you want to know what I think his first answer is going to be? Tell it's going to be very, this is thinking outside the box. Yeah. James Devlin. Yeah. I think that there's two schools of thought, right? The first one is, is smash mouth football is what got us here. The gap schemes, the man blocking schemes, James Devlin in the backfield, the two back sets. That's that's why we're here, right? Against San Diego or Los Angeles, I keep saying San Diego. Against Los Angeles and against Kansas City, that was the tone setting drive, that eight minute drive to start the game where we run it right down your throats right. and we score a touchdown. That's how the, both of those games started, and it really set the tone for the entire game. The other school of thought is let's run away from them, right? Let's get on the perimeter. Let's run Sony Michelle on tosses and sweep plays outside. Let's run Cordero Patterson on some jet sweeps. Let's run Julian Edelman on some of those end arounds. Let's get away from the guys in the interior and make the guys on the outside, the corners, the safeties, those guys tackle us in the open field. I think that it's a little bit of both. Right, you want to keep the defense off balance. You want to do a little bit both of that. But I think early on in this game, that's what's gotten you here is being able to set the tone and run the ball down their throats. Let's see if it works early on. If it doesn't, then obviously you have to adjust. So my, my thinking of James Devlin isn't that they necessarily try to run it down their throats. It's you want to bang Indomitian Sue yeah. if you're double teaming. Yeah, um, Aaron Donald, sure. right? I mean, that's kind of... That's kind of... That, the advantage of having Devlin is that you can come at it from a different angle. When you use extra tight ends or just a tight end and 11 personnel with a single back, you really don't have anybody that can come from straight ahead at somebody. that You have to pull Correct. a guard or you have to wham a tight end. But with Devlin, he can just run Literally right a battering him. ram. And it's all it's almost like another double team that they can incorporate. Correct. And, and I had the chance to speak with James Devlin one-on-one on uh, Wednesday, and I asked him kind of a question probably a lot of football players would scoff at, but I'm like, yeah. when did you get over the fear of just putting your body in harm's way when you're 
your literally your assignment yeah. is to go full speed into a three hundred pound human being. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's certainly. And he said, by the way, training camp. Yeah, my first training camp in the NFL, and they put me at fullback. That's when I learned to get over that. Yeah, and there's definitely technique things like getting your head out of there and and right. leading with your hands to kind of absorb some that. of that blow. He, he made reference to the technique. Yeah, it's a big thing because if obviously you don't want to go head first into one of these guys because that's a good way to break your neck. So yeah. you don't want to do that. And the other thing is that if you come with your hands. A big part of blocking is controlling guys with your hands, and, and also on the other side between of, the shoulder pads. Yeah, and you, that way you can hold them and you can really move them where you want to go. When the guy that gets inside hands and gets his hands first contact almost always wins that kind of one-on-one battle, if you will, in the trenches. The guy that comes late with his hands, the guy that's a little bit weaker, the guy that gets his hands on the outside of, of a lineman instead of getting them inside of the shoulders. That's when you can kind of get controlled and you get moved off the ball. What is Wade Phillips going to do with these three players? James White, Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski. Well, I think that really we start with Gronk. The best option to me is to put a keep to leave on him. Hmm. The question is, is do they travel to leave into the box when Gronk is in line when he's you know next to the tackles, leading the slot? Right, vulnerable. Or, or do they put? him only on Gronk when Gronk goes out wide or in the slot, which is obviously much more natural for a cornerback. Now, we've seen Aqib Tlaib go in the box and play a little bit of box safety with the Patriots when they had Jimmy Graham in here a few years ago, but the question really is, is that something that is this defense is capable of doing just from a schematic standpoint? Have they done it before this season? Do they know the rules? Does Aqib Tlaib know the safety rules if it's a running play and he's in the box? That's all something that they're going to have to work out over the next couple weeks if they're able to do that. With Edelman, I think Nicole Roby Coleman is honestly the best, you know, option for them. He's a very good slot corner. 84.3 rating, I believe it was, in the slot. One of the best in the league at it. He calls himself the slot god because of how good he is. Cocky guy. But at the same time, he's not He's not wrong, necessarily. He's one of the better slot corners in the league. So, if that's, you know, where I would go with Edelman, I think that that matchup, more so than a lot of other times with Edelman in the past, favors the defense more than you would think. In, in the past, Edelman is just going to win any matchup. He won against uh, Desmond King, who's an all-pro uh, on the Chargers. He won that. He killed Desmond King in that divisional round game. He killed Kendall Fuller in the against the Chiefs, or maybe it's Kyle Fuller. I get the two brothers confused. Whichever one's on the Chiefs, Edelman took his lunch money. Can he do the same thing to Nikhil Roby Coleman? And the last one with James White, it's going to be Mark Barron, who is basically a hybrid safety linebacker player that they've converted to a linebacker. He right. played safety at Alabama. He essentially invented his own position, and he's kind of a linebacker hybrid guy who is built like a safety plays linebacker. He had a big issues with Alvin Kamara in the NFC Championship game, but overall this season, the Rams have been very good against pass-catching running backs, and this isn't like a list of pass-catching running backs that are no-name guys. We're talking about David Johnson, Theo Riddick, Alvin Kamara, some big guys, and no one has really had a big game against them except Kamara. They're fourth in the league in yards allowed to the running backs, to the better, you know, fourth fewest in the league, uh, yards allowed to the running backs this year, so 
I think it's a matchup they can exploit because I watch that tape of the NFC Championship game and I see how they use Kamara and I see James White, you know, as a spitting image of Kamara. But at the same time, it was 11 catches for 96 yards, so it was a whole lot of dink and dunk. It wasn't exactly a ton of explosive plays. By the way, for the record, when you said Mark Barron yeah. in Alabama, you know his ears per- perked up to uh, your left? This, yeah, this guy. Yeah, Alex Barr. Alex Barr. I asked... I actually, to give him some roll tiredness, I asked Mark Barron on opening night about his relationship with Dante Hightower, and he said, yeah, Hightower is my guy. We go way back. <laughs> they played on that Alabama defense together, and, uh, you know, they, they're very good friends, and this is one of those few games where very good friends become enemies, but right. those two guys, uh, you know, Barron said we, we went to battle a few times together. So uh, here's what I think Wade Phillips is going to do. I think he's going to, as much as he can, personnel obviously is – different. He doesn't have DeMarcus Ware and Von Miller on the edge. He has his two beasts actually in the middle of the line for the most part. Yeah. He's going to take away the uh, crossing routes, right, from Tom Brady and try to do what he did against the Patriots in the 2015 uh, AFC Championship, January 16 in Denver. Yeah. And use the sideline as a 12th defender. Yeah. And he's going to make Tom Brady... Uh, beat you outside the numbers. I mean, that's the way to do it, right? You know, if you the have box, the personnel to do have, it, if you have the personnel to do it, yeah. And I think that really the biggest thing we talked about this about what got Bob Sutton fired. What got Bob Sutton fired was obviously a lot of things, but kind of the straw that broke the camel's back was him leaving the middle of the field wide open all day long in which the AFC Championship game, which you just can't do. So if I'm Wade Phillips, I'm putting a safety right at that eight to ten yard mark, depending on the down and distance, and I'm putting that guy right there and every single time Edelman comes across I'm jumping it right I'm just going right in there and making sure that Edelman is bracketed in by that guy and I'm going to make Brady go to his one-on-ones with Chris Hogan and Philip Dorsett and maybe you kind of give up some of this stuff to James White underneath and, and just come up and tackle and that seems to be the best game plan now the kryptonite for that and what has always been the Patriots kryptonite for tight man coverage and loading the box is Rob Gronkowski so the question is can Rob Gronkowski give us one more throwback Gronk game and kind of exploit the fact that when Gronk is at his best, when he's at his all-pro best, there is nobody in the league that can take him one-on-one. And when you do that with the safety in the middle of the field, or even two safeties, one high, one low, you're leaving Gronk one-on-one in a lot of situations. So that's going to be the question is can, uh, whether it's Aqib Tlaib or LaMarcus Joyner or whoever is on Gronk on one-on-one situations, can he stop him? That's going to be the big thing. After the ill-fated D. Ford um, lined up in the neutral zone, which would have been an interception game yeah. over right there. It yeah. became third and five. On that third and five, that was when Gronk was matched one on one and With Tom Eric Barry, yeah, yes, and went um, down the left sideline. Yeah, and that's it, what you could. That's what you're talking about. That's what you could. Right, see. like if you if you are one on one, and it happened twice because it also happened in overtime on a third and ten, and Gronk actually ran what the Patriots called D slant, which is just a slant route from the perimeter, and. It was, it was one of those situations where they set up the fade earlier in the game, they throw it over the top, and then later in the game, Eric Berry's sitting on the fade, and he just runs the slant right across his face, and there's no defense for that at that point. If they can get those types of matchups for Gronk and get Gronk to win those one-on-ones, that's what it comes down to. That's offensive football. You have a one-on-one. James White says it all the time. If you have a one-on-one, you need to win. Right, that's right. that's really what it boils down to because the schematics of it, they're going to be de- doubling or 
you know, kind of shifting the coverage towards a certain guy. So if the coverage is going all to Edelman, all to Edelman, then someone, James White, Hogan, Dorsett, Gronk, whoever it may be, needs to win a one-on-one. Has anybody, as we wrap it up here, has anybody said anything on either side of the fence this, this week so far uh, that has surprised you? That has surprised me. Perked your ears like, wow, I wasn't expecting him to say that. I wasn't, you know. Could Besides it... Michael Brocker saying that Tom Brady's old. Yeah. Uh, I guess I guess you could include that. Yeah, that would be I think, slightly surprising. I think the other thing that the Rams players are all saying, and maybe it's not surprising, but just kind of perked my ears up a little bit, was they are aware of the fact that the Patriots are going to try to run the ball against them. And they know that that's going to be kind of the game plan for New England early on in this game. But so it's they, how they run the ball. Right, and the question is, is can the Patriots still run the ball when the other team knows that you're going to run the ball? And that's going to be kind of how this game is decided, at least early. And over the past month or so, whether it's the Bills, the Jets, the Chargers, the Chiefs, the, the, all those teams have put eight guys in the box, and they said, we know you're going to try to run it, run it. And the Patriots have been able to do it. So really, it's, you know, that just becomes man on man, right? That's just a kind of a meter of power and who wants it more and the Rams know the Patriots are going to run it the Patriots know the Ram that the Patriots are going to run it so the question is is who kind of wins that battle I have Patriots 31-21 you I think it's going to be a little bit higher scoring than that I, I think that this is going to take on a similar effect to last year's Super Bowl that it's going to be a little bit of a shootout now I expect more defense to be played and the defense to be a little bit more of a factor maybe a couple more turnovers on the defensive side of the ball to kind of get that score up but I'm going to go 38-34 Pats. I think that a late turnover in this game by Jared Goff decides it. All right, great stuff. You can follow Evan on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. He is awesome. I mean, there's nobody in the market, I think, that does as good a job breaking down films as you do. And I don't say that uh, to win any brownie points or because you're my colleague. I I mean it. Episode, what, 283, you said, of uh, the Patriots Beat Podcast? Yeah. That's getting up there. Uh, I'm I'm working hard. I'm working (laughs) hard there, Evan. Want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Want to thank our terrific guest and my great colleague, Evan Lazar from CLNS Media, who just blew past 10,000 Twitter followers. <laughs> by the way, that's a great accomplishment. Thank you. Thank we got to get you uh, verified, by I the way. Know, that, we I know. we got to get you the blue check. check mark. Twitter, if you're listening to this, hit me up. Add to that number by following him on Twitter. I just told you how. At E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. Also want to thank our great sponsor, Homesick Candles. For producer Michael Longy, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. This is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.